Lord, we are grateful uh, to be the recipients of your great blessings. God, as we open your word today and we seek to know you more fully, particularly your Holy Spirit, God, would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you give us great joy in knowing you more? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I have a uh, new octopus wrapped around my head today, so if it falls off or such, I apologize ahead of time. Um, so, yeah, if it, if it just starts coming off or falls off my ear and you're not hearing me anymore, let me know. Um, but welcome back, week number four, Holy Spirit. Uh, we have, in the first three weeks, very quick review. We spent uh, the first week uh, talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, that He is a person of the triune God. Our second week, we spoke mainly about the Holy Spirit as the anointing in Christ's uh, earthly ministry. And then last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit uh, in and through prophets and apostles. So all of that is, is at the website under sermons, uh, including the handouts where you can download those if you missed any of that and you'd like to, to uh, listen. I have two things to fill in from last week. One, just a clarification based on a question that I got afterwards. Uh, we were talking about um, the replacement of Judas with Matthias. And I pointed out that, that this was really for that particular office, in that particular time, that this was not, and I emphasize the word not, uh, some sort of beginning of a succession that our friends in the Roman Catholic Church would hold to, that, well, Peter was the first bishop of the Church of Rome, and therefore, uh, whoever followed him and whoever followed him and whoever followed him still has apostolic authority. So I just wanted to be clear that we don't believe that. I don't believe that. This church doesn't believe that. Uh, evangelical Christianity does not believe that. So, so that was the first thing. Second thing, very, very quickly, uh, is uh, I had a note in there about the condescending spirit, and we just didn't talk about that at all. So the point there is an interesting one in terms of the giving of Scripture to mankind. Uh, Psalm 113 speaks of God essentially condescending just to, to even descending to even look upon uh, the heavens and the earth. Jesus, likewise, condescended in that he came, submitted himself uh, even to the point of death as a servant. In the Holy Spirit's work of essentially translating scriptures into languages that you and I can understand, there's condescension there from the mind of God to the, the human languages uh, that, that we can actually understand. Uh, there's, I believe that, that the Holy Spirit essentially needed to speak baby talk in some sense to get this to Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic so that we could actually understand in our own language what it is that, that God wishes to reveal to us. So that was the point in case I had a couple people say, hey, you didn't talk about that at all, or did you, and I missed it. That's the point. All right, so that brings us to today. And, and, and today, 
is all about regeneration, the Holy Spirit and regeneration. Um, so, not unlike what our brother Joe has been teaching us uh, for many weeks, uh, we are seeing uh, today regeneration as um, the Holy Spirit applying to the life of the believer of what Christ has accomplished or what he has earned or what he has procured, uh, what he has completed and purchased. And so regeneration is just one bit, it's a really important bit, but one bit of, of what the Holy Spirit uh, is now applying uh, of, of Christ's redemption. And we'll spend next week talking about uh, the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the believer, sort of a progressive sanctification uh, uh, approach. Today, though, we're going to focus sort of at a point in time in, in a believer's life of regeneration. Um, so to define this uh, is uh, regeneration is, is generally agreed. It's the inauguration of new life by the sovereign and secret activity of God. So that's not in your notes in case you're looking back and forth, but that's, it's, it's the inauguration of new life. It's regeneration by the sovereign and secret activity of God. Okay. So for something, someone, right, some things, things are not regenerated. So for someone to be regenerated, uh, we have a, a necessary situation ahead of that that you would be unregenerate. And so we need to, we need to speak of, of really the state of mankind as it relates to regeneration before regeneration occurs. So that's where we're going to, to spend the first bit of our time. <clears throat> and just in general, we're talking about a person who lacks the spirit and really all aspects of spiritual life, though Though unregenerate people have souls, right? It's, so, so it's not that we're, we lack souls, but there's, there's, there's no connection in terms of a relationship uh, toward God of things spiritual. If there is a connection uh, at all spiritually, it's to the world and to Satan, uh, where there is a, a subjection to the things of the world and Satan, and, and the relationship, therefore, uh, that, that the unregenerate has towards God really is one of aversion. It, um, it, it's called ignorance as well in the scriptures, but it's really uh, being an enemy, uh, pushing back on, on all things. In fact, the uh, scriptures describe the ruin uh, of mankind as being so complete uh, that just as to say that, that man after the fall, is no longer a spiritual being. And again, don't confuse that with, well, man is, is physical only and has no soul. But, but that the things of the spirit are just the furthest things from his mind. So you see uh, examples there from Jude 19. Um, I think I have all of those listed for you. Uh, from Jude 19, where uh, Jude is describing scoffers who are chasing after their own passions, uh, he, he says, it's these who cause divisions, uh, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 
2.14, the natural person is how uh, Paul describes one who, I'll read the rest of that verse, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. James 3.15, as he's describing the root of jealousy and selfish ambition, uh, describes uh, this as not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Ephesians 2.12 speaks of those separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So you can see a pretty gloomy picture is painted of man outside of God, right? Man, the fallen man. Um, The effects here in this unregenerate state uh, are thorough. Uh, They... uh, Man deprived of the spirit, you can see there, I think I've listed for you from some of these same scriptures, but but there are others as well, all of the different aspects of mankind that that is affected by the fall. The understanding, 1 Corinthians 2.14, we, we cannot, cannot, notice these are, these are words of ability. So, so leave, leave alone intent or desire, but just ability. We cannot, um, in our current state, uh, if, if we're unregenerate, know the things of God. Uh, the will, Romans 8, 7, says that uh, the, the one of the flesh cannot be subject to the law of God. That is, cannot submit to it, cannot obey it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, um, the one uh, without the Spirit cannot uh, call Jesus Lord. Uh, Romans 8.8 8, uh, speaks to practice that uh, the unregenerate cannot please God. The fruit, John 15.4, this is uh, vine and branches, right? Those, those not connected to, to the vine cannot bear fruit. And uh, finally listed there, John 14.17, uh, that uh, those uh, un, in an unregenerate state, cannot receive the spirit of truth. That, they, that is, they cannot believe uh, or have, have faith in an unregenerate state. So this is, this is our pre-regenerate or unregenerate state. Um, and uh, so the question, it begs the question, how does one get from that? Right? Because it sounds pretty hopeless, pretty helpless, and it is. How does one get from that to, to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Um, and so uh, the Spirit gives life. And that's the short answer uh, and the beginning of this. But I want, I want you to see this through uh, three different passages in John that we'll spend some time in here. Um, and they're glorious and wonderful. So John 3, I've got, I actually have the entire text of what we'll talk about there for you in your notes, but we'll go a couple other places so that uh, you don't need to keep your thumb in John. But John 3, familiar text to us, uh, verses 3 through 8, uh, this is Jesus and Nicodemus, and Jesus answers Nicodemus, 
and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." So, <clears throat> draw out some of the, the, the uh, key points here. Uh, first of all, truly, truly, because they didn't have bold or underline or font size, although I imagine this could have been written pretty big. Uh, so, that what they had is repetition. Truly just means amen, right? This is true. They did it at the, at the beginning rather than at the end, right? Now they're gonna, somebody's going to say something true, it's going to tell you ahead of time. And Jesus, in fact, repeats it twice. Truly, truly. Amen, amen, Jesus says. What I'm about to tell you is, is true and it's important truth. And in verse 3, what he sets forth is that whatever born again means, right? We'll, we'll just pretend we don't maybe know exactly. But whatever it means, it is a necessary condition to see the kingdom of God, okay? So a necessary condition is, is something that must happen before something else happens. That's why it's called necessary. So I, I grew up on a farm, and we had necessary conditions in terms of how far you got to advance into the household, right? So if you wanted to get from outside the porch door into the porch, the necessary condition was to take off those boots. And if you wanted to advance from the porch into another part of the house, well, you needed to take off other things. And if you wanted to advance beyond the hard surface part of the house into the cushy furniture and the carpet, well, you needed to take a bath. Right? These are necessary conditions to see the couch, even to, to experience that part of life. Uh, there were necessary conditions, and, and in the same way, that's what John is, uh, Jesus is describing here to Nicodemus, that unless this is true, this being born again, there is no seeing of, of the kingdom of God. The same thing is pointed out in verse 5, isn't it? Um, in fact, there is, we learn much by the parallel passage, verses 3 and 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right? So we, we, have, we have these parallels. Truly, truly, unless this, then this cannot be true. So whatever this born again is and this born of the water and Spirit is, they, they are both, well, they are one thing. You know that. But now, if you didn't know that, now you do. <laughs> Um, but they're, it's a necessary condition to be uh, to enter and to see the kingdom of God. So briefly, um, 
you may or may not have spent time in this passage to think through what born of water means. Um, let me help you with that through Ezekiel chapter 36. So if you would turn there with me. While you're doing that, I'll give you a couple things that it's not. Right? So um, being born of the water and the spirit does not mean, um, well, you need to be humanly born, right, out of a womb, birth canal, amniotic fluid, all that, and then born second time. Now, there are those who hold to that, but it, the, the rest of the texts don't really support this. As, and, and it would be sort of self-obvious, like if you're human, you've been born, right? The second is, and, and was held by, well, still held by, by many, that the water is representing baptism. Uh, and the clear teaching of Scripture is that while baptism is a fine step of obedience for one who is born of the Spirit, that it's, that it's not a precondition for uh, salvation. Okay, so here, Ezekiel 36, I think, is very helpful for us. Verse uh, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so the water here, we believe that Jesus, as he speaks of being born of water and of the spirit, is talking about really two things that are very closely related, but you can make a distinction between one that's, that is the cleansing of the heart and the life from, from a life of idols, in this case, um, and uncleanness, and the new heart. That is the, the new heart that, that the Spirit puts in the new believer. So this is the, where these two things uh, have a confluence. Okay, um, back to, to John 3, verse 7. Uh, again, Jesus tells us not to, to marvel. He tells Nicodemus not to marvel. You must be born again. So again, this is set forth as necessary. And then in verse 8, let me get my own self back to John 3. Jesus gives a wonderful picture that helps us as well. The wind blows where it wishes. So... Um, who drives the wind in this picture? Well, the wind drives the wind. The wind is, is in, in essence, held up as a thing that decides where it seeks to be. Uh, no one controls it. No one directs it. No one uh, coaxes it or, or cajoles it to, to blow a certain place. The, the, the wind is, is held up as autonomous and sovereign. And... <clears throat> The, the point being is in, la, in the last sentence that Jesus gives. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, that the Spirit 
is blowing as the Spirit so wishes. And, and we know from other texts more specifically, the Spirit is blowing where the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit, where, where uh, the Spirit has been directed. Um, but not being, you know, so this regeneration bit, this born-again bit, is not someone uh, inviting the Holy Spirit in to make me new, right? Uh, it's, it's the Holy Spirit sovereignly and necessarily working as a matter of, of first things to regenerate. Okay. We'll let that be for now. We'll refer back to it. But, but uh, John 6 is another stopping point for us. John 6, verse 63 This is after the uh, really fascinating and, for those who heard it, many of those who heard it, troubling discourse that Jesus gave of uh, the bread of life. So if you want the background to this, um, you know, just plug yourself in at, at chapter 6, verse 22, and then read your way right back up to where we're at another time, not now. Um, but... Uh, the, the sort of the fallout of that conversation uh, is, is uh, there's, there's confusion, there's concern, there's uh, a number of questions coming from, from all sides. In fact, you'll see verse 60, uh, the first thing, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Um, and uh, we get to verse 63. And Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The rest of that verse is the, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But the first half of that verse is really our focus today because as it relates to regeneration, um, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now, if you're, if you're familiar with that previous passage in the bread of life, I uh, just want to make clear that here, where Jesus says, the flesh, this is different than what he has referred to earlier, where he says, speaking of, you know, those who, if you have any part in me, you must eat my flesh, drink my blood. So it's a different topic here. So when he's, he's not talking about my flesh is of no help. He's talking about the flesh, that, that human effort to give life is of, is of no use, um, right? It avails nothing. Okay. In fact, he's repeating that theme from John 3, 6, that like gives birth unto like. Flesh, what does flesh give birth unto? Flesh. And the spirit gives birth unto spirit, Right? And in fact, here, if you're, a, if you're a, a creedal fan, right, Nicene Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, this is, this is your verse for the Lord and giver of life, John 6, 63, the Spirit gives life. Okay, third stopping point in the Gospel of John then uh, is uh, John 16. which is sandwiched right in, right in the middle of stuff we've read 
in previous weeks, but we've, we've not gone to these particular words. And uh, let me read the passage, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Starting in verse 8. <clears throat> and when he comes, that is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And you might, if you were like me several weeks ago, um, think, well, what's that have to do with regeneration? That all sounds very judgmental. I mean, the word convict is there, and it's Satan is judged. And how does, how does that all connect? And I hope that uh, we have a fighting chance of, of coming to this together uh, to today. Um, so first we start with the word convict, which in, in English has much the same uh, sort of twofold sense uh, that, that it did in, in Greek, and that is we speak of a conviction being something that uh, has taken place in a, in a courtroom and, and a felon is now behind bars because of a conviction, right? That conviction has nothing to do with what the felon believes, right? That, that conviction is, is because of what a judge and a jury has decided, right? And there is a judgment handed down, right? That's when, 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 when that person is convicted, that's, that's what's happening. But we speak about having convictions in another way, don't we? Right? We, we speak about it as things that we believe deeply, that, that we, we have no doubts on, that we cling to. Right? You have, I have, we all have convictions, things that we cling to. And, and the Greek word for convict has these senses as well. Right? And... Um, I was frankly surprised as I prepared for this, the number of godly men, alive and dead, uh, who see here uh, a pathway to understand this, uh, convict as more like convince to, to, uh, that the Holy Spirit here is coming to convince, um, not only unto judgment and condemnation, but to new life, right? Uh, so bear with me, work with me on this, and uh, we'll see where we, where we get. In fact, the, um, one, one has gone so far as to say that this is perhaps the most full-orbed and detailed description of the Spirit's work in relation to regeneration in terms of awakening the mind, convincing the freshly regenerated mind of great truths that are of matters of first importance. So, yeah. All right. So I have... Uh, you know, our question here with this in front of us 
is, okay, so if, if, we, if we speak of what is the Holy Spirit convicting or convincing of, what are we after? What, what, what are those things? And just in short, and we'll expand on them, just in short, first, that unbelief is the greatest sin that, we ha- that, the, that the unregenerate has. Unbelief. Okay? Second, that the righteousness of Christ uh, is the only righteousness that avails before God and that it does avail before God, that there's, that there's truth and hope in that. Not only that it is the only righteousness, but that it is a righteousness that does avail before God. And then third, that any claim that Satan had on the unbeliever, on the unregenerate, uh, has been invalidated uh, in the life of the regenerate. So, some time to dig into each of these uh, briefly. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Right. So that's just word for word right from the text. Uh, Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we are dead in trespasses and sins. But spiritual death is not in the first place about our sins. It's about our sin state, singular, right? We, we sin because we're sinners, right? Uh, we, we don't become sinners because we sin. That happened to Adam and Eve, yes. To everyone else, it's a different formula, right? Because we are, in the first place, sons and daughters of Adam and conceived in sin, born with original sin, so our primary problem, and you, uh, I'll, I'm going to read snippets from uh, Romans 5, 12 through 11, if you want to turn there. Our primary problem is not one of, uh, in, a, in an unregenerate state, I need to keep reminding us of what we're talking about, uh, our primary problem is not one of bad habits or a filthy mouth or, or whatever it might be, um, but our, our primary issue is, is one of unbelief separation from God. So Romans 5, verse 12, I'm just, just going to lay these, these on you. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Verse 12, verse 15, many died through one man's trespass. Verse 16, I'm just reading the really negative part of this passage, so there's a great second half to all of that. But verse 16, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Okay. You should be convinced by now of what you know, the, the, the point of the passage, right? At least in the first half as it relates to the original sin, the state of man outside of, of Christ. So Ephesians 4.18 tells us we're alienated from God. Uh, Ephesians 2.12, we've already read it, that we're without hope. Uh, Romans 8 tells us we're hostile to God. Uh, Ephesians 2 
uh, verse 3, go so far as to tell us that we are by nature children of wrath. At our very nature, this is how we start. Um, and we are central to that is our inability uh, to come to, to follow after, to seek after Christ. One author that I uh, read says, uh, considered in its consequences, this sin of unbelief has its immediate ground of condemnation in the fact that all other sins, original and actual, with all their guilt are remissible through faith in Christ. But this sin involves the rejection of the graciously provided remedy. And the final unbelief has nothing to interpose between the sinner and righteous condemnation. Uh, and put much more succinctly, Augustine tells, writes that uh, while unbelief continues, all other sins are retained, and when unbelief departs, all other sins are remitted. Um, and John 8:24. Uh, Jesus tells those around him, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so do you see the distinction between, I mean, that unbelief is a sin and other sins are sins? Jesus, though, makes a distinction that unless you believe that I am he, unless you put your faith in me, you will die in your sins. Okay. So that's the first uh, of these things that the Holy Spirit is coming to convince or to convict um, the unbeliever of. Second, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. Which should give us some pause. Exactly how does righteousness and the return of Jesus to the Father relate to one another. And that's good. Um, and uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I think, makes the connection for us. Uh, while you're turning there, while I'm turning there as well, um, one of the, the points here is that Jesus' resurrection and his following ascension is not merely um, evidence that Jesus was only innocent and that his cause was right and good, but that he was actually righteous altogether, the Son of God, and that God's stamp of approval upon his finished ministry was placed there for us, and that a valid righteousness had been procured for all believers. So we see then the pattern. I'm in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. This connection between Jesus' resurrection and the hope of the believer. So starting in verse 20, in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So immediately we have the connection that Jesus. His resurrection is not, is not only an event in space and time, but it has meaning for those who are his. That's what a first fruit is, right? It's, it's, it's the leader. It's, it's the one 
uh, who's, who's making the way. Verse 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so the, the Holy Spirit is convincing the uh, hearer that there is a righteousness, a true righteousness that has been made available in Christ. Uh, not by works, not by our strength, but, but that's been uh, made available by the uh, perfect obedient life of Christ, his sacrificial atoning death, and the demonstration of the truth of that is on display in his resurrection and his ascension. Okay. Third, in our John passage, again, is concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And this is closely connected to the previous point, um, but, but sort of takes that same thing and just spins the perspective around. Um, as, as Christ's righteousness avails um, great things for the regenerate, for, for, for those who are made new, um, it, it spells doom to Satan. You know, that, that, same, that same thing that happened with Christ being raised and ascending to the Father uh, is evidence to the forces of evil that really the, the war is over. Yeah, the, the, there are battles and skirmishes to go on, but um, the final outcome is set. It's really just a matter of, of uh, timing now, working out the rest of this. Okay. So, those are, those are the, 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 the pictures here. And the, the question then is, sort of where we started with this in the first place. What's the result? Right? If, if the Holy Spirit comes to convict or to convince one that unbelief is the greatest of all sins, is at the core of the separation from God, that a real righteousness exists to then bring one back to God and that Satan has been judged... Yes, there are some who, who will turn away from that truth. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 tell us, uh, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. So yes, but if the Holy Spirit is working sovereignly as the sovereign Lord of not, not only the universe, but everything in the universe, including every heart, 
when he says, come to life, the believer is born again, right? And, and these things, which, which we, I think, commonly come to John uh, and in 16, 8 through 11, and see as condemnation and judgment uh, of the unbeliever, are also uh, initial uh, building blocks, we might say, of the regenerate mind. That I, I, I come to life at the Spirit's beck and call because I understand, right, well, in, in the understanding, I believe. I cease unbelief. That uh, I am given a righteousness that I desperately need and cannot earn. Right? And I understand that I am victorious in Christ, that Satan has been judged. So these are, um, I think that it's, it's fair and right to understand here that Jesus is describing steps uh, through which the Holy Spirit is leading the awakened mind, is convincing the regenerate person essentially of what just happened. Right, of what just happened. Okay. Um, the next uh, bit that we want to talk about is the necessity of the Holy Spirit being a first mover. Um, so back to, to John 3, Jesus, in his work with Nicodemus, his conversation, didn't tell Nicodemus, hey, there are these things that you need to go do. What he, what he said was, there's something that you need to become, and that is born again, right? Um, the man's nature needs to be changed first. The, the tree must be made good before there's going to be good fruit. Um, and so, while there's nothing wrong about um, education or information or fear of hell or making promises or sincerity or following a good example, these things are also not salvific. They are not saving. It is only the Spirit who gives life. Um, I have a quote in there for you uh, from, from George Smeaton, one of the authors I'm reading. And uh, he writes, the Holy Spirit works in us to will at the first moment of conversion and at every subsequent step. The first desire to return to God, as well as the first prayer offered with this end in view, is from the Holy Spirit. That all spiritual good emanates from the Spirit of God is a simple formula which keeps every inquirer in this department right. That the Spirit's power and grace precede the will is a maxim to be carried with us unless we are prepared to ascribe a merit to the first step or to view the first step as originated on the man's own side. And so the point here is that as we talk about this, we just need to recall and remember that it's the Holy Spirit who who begins a work, who brings life. Some of the effects then, as we 
um, nearer the end here, of the regeneration that the Spirit brings, right? The, we have the indwelling Spirit and union with Christ that's brought. So turn with me to Romans 8, verses 19 through 11. You, however, Paul writes, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So we have, as an effect of regeneration, the indwelling of, of the Spirit and a literal union with Christ. Again, it, it ties together with him being the first fruits of, of many who would follow. Um, change is everywhere after regeneration, right? Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 speaks that every, every, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And, and these changes come in the understanding, in the will, in the intellect. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.6 reads that for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, in the very same way that, that our depravity and our ruin in an unregenerate state was, was everywhere, every aspect of our life and our being, uh, so, as we are made new, the Holy Spirit, uh, we are changed in every aspect, in our thinking, in our desires, in our attitudes, um, our uh, decisions. And i refer you again uh, in terms of cleansing to the, what we read before from Ezekiel 36.25, that uh, uh, renewed and cleansed desires and attitude are ours. And uh, another effect that we won't spend uh, time on uh, today because Joe did just a handful of weeks ago in, in a far better fashion is our adoption uh, as sons and daughters of God. Right? That, that salvation, right? being justified, being made new is a great, great thing, but God doesn't stop there and actually uh, calls us um, sons. Uh, Romans eight fifteen to 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay. So, with all of this, then, how do we, how do we respond? There's much more could be said about the Spirit in regeneration, but how, how should we respond? You'll notice some arrows on your little notes there, right? So there are, there are responses that are vertical, how we respond to God, right? So we praise God for his great mercy 
for his sovereign grace in bringing new life. This, this is nothing that we deserved or earned, even wanted. Um, but God has done this um, monergistically. So we thank him uh, for sending his son and for sending his spirit to make alive. And we ask for more, right? We, we ask God uh, on behalf of our parents, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends, co-workers, our enemies, that God would make alive, that he would send. So let that inhabit, let the truth of the Spirit's work to bring new life inhabit your prayers. Now something that we have not talked about one bit really directly is that how does that information get to the new believer? Well, it's, it's the Word of God, right? And so that's your horizontal arrow, right? Is, and, and that is that our lives need to be saturated, absolutely baptized, immersed in the Word of God. It is, it is by the means of God's Word that truth, you know, real true things are communicated. You know, the, the, the Spirit doesn't just make alive out of nothing. He applies real, true, discernible truths from the Word of God, right? So this is, this is our Romans 10 passage that we haven't read, right? Well, how, how will they believe, right? Let's say here. How will they hear? Let's, right? So that's our part of being Word-filled, that, that, that it informs uh, how we how we evangelize and how we teach and how we uh, enjoy lunch together later and, and how we have a conversation right here in about three minutes, right? That the Word needs to be uh, part of everything that we do. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Spirit. Thank you particularly for making uh, new, uh, unregenerate people. God, that you have taken one who, who hates you, who's a sworn enemy, who's dead in all ways, and you have made alive. God, we praise you for your great mercy in this act. And we ask, God, that you would do more, that you would be pleased um, to bring glory to Christ in the saving of many, even in this place and in this day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.